joined Nike because I wanted to be the best female athlete ever. Instead, I was emotionally and physically abused by a system designed by Alberto and endorsed by Nike. Hello, everyone. This is Robert Let's Run.com co-founder Robert Johnson welcoming you to another edition of Let's Run.com's Track Talk podcast. What a week. Not much happened in terms of actual road and track action, but so much happened off the track. And most of it is featured around Mary Kane and the New York Times with some help from the New York Times raising troubling allegations against Alberto Salazar. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about the Diamond League cuts. They've been announced. And we'll talk about how Leo O'Connor thinks that the message board moderation needs to be greatly improved. Plus, did Jonathan Galt snub Jim Walmsley in his Olympic trials breakdown? Guys, welcome to the program. Where do you want to begin? I imagine we have to we 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 need to begin with the Mary Kane allegations. What do you think? Yeah, we have to start it with Mary Kane, Robert. It's been the topic in the running world the last week and just not just the running world in fact you know celebrities uh weighing in on it professional athletes uh even kamala harris posted about it on her twitter account john uh come i think you may be giving our message board posters too much credit did they know kamala harris is and do you view her as a celebrity presidential candidate kamala harris maybe well i mean she's a public important public figure i i view her as important uh, but I haven't really been keeping up on, I mean, who's ahead in the polls? Is it still Biden? I don't really know. I haven't really been paying that close attention to it. So anyway, yeah, it, it's been a huge topic of discussion. And I think obviously what Mary said is very powerful and kudos to her for speaking out. Um, but I, I, I think that it prompts a larger discussion on a number of topics. You know, there are layers to this thing. There's, there's the women's health aspect. There's the coach-athlete relationship aspect. There's the youth phenom in the running world aspect, which is a topic we see, you know, we've got another phenom coming up right now, Caitlin Tui. We have one from last year, uh, Claudia Lane. You know, we see this sort of thing all the time. And so it's got a lot of very interesting questions laid on top of each other. And, you know, which I think we should address, you know, some of them in this, in this podcast. Yes. This Kane thing was so huge, John. I was just shocked at how everyone, not everyone I knew, but a lot of people I knew who didn't know Alberto Salazar was banned from the sport, they had all heard of this. The New York Times and the video and Lindsey Krauss, it was just such an effective way. And I find it not ironic, but it's crazy that this is what it took to get an investigation of the NLP and what was going on there. Previously, we had had allegations of prescription drug abuse, all sorts of things. Kara Gouch and others have been speaking out about that. And Nike had never done an investigation. Well, are we sure about that? I feel like they didn't they do an internal investigation? They stuck by him. But I, to say that they didn't look into the claims at all, I, I, I don't know if that's true. Oh, I thought they never had because I, once Alberto got banned, I remember thinking like, well, we need to have an investigation, see what's going on. But it was just amazing. This piece was so effective and just hit all the right nerves and it, it was an opinion piece, right? It's not a news piece. And which is sort of interesting. We can talk about that later down the road, but finally the NLP is getting investigated. Yeah. I mean, it, it, that was my biggest takeaway is I, I really think that it was amazing how this piece took off and, the, and how impactful it was. I really think my biggest takeaway originally was, wow, what a masterful hit job. And I don't mean like hit job like it was undeserved. There's no doubt that Salazar was a jerk and treated Kane horribly. But 
you couldn't have designed a piece for more viral impact. It, it, it was perfectly appropriate. The chickens have come home to roost for Nike. Nike is a company that was became a multi-billionaire company because of brilliant advertising. I mean, and marketing. I mean, think about it. Originally, they weren't even making their own shoes. They were selling someone else's shoes. And yet now they've become this company that's viewed as having the best products. But really, it was all based on marketing. And finally, someone turned the power of marketing and it just came back onto the, to hit them. I mean, the piece with just Mary speaking into a black, you know, with a black background and all the code words, everything was masterfully done. Girls, uh, they even had things in there like straight A student. Like really, if you think about it objectively, like what does that have to do with anything? But it was just set up so perfectly. And it just, I mean, when I watched that, I was like, wow. Like they game, you know, almost like a knockout in the first round for, for the, for the times and Sal and, and Kane on Salazar. Since then, I, I've listened to the podcast. I think they had Lindsey Krauss on. John, you might know the name of the podcast with Alicia Montano. Yeah, I know it. This is a great podcast. It's called Keeping Track. It's with Molly Huddle, Alicia Montano, and Rosen again. And they had Lindsey Krauss on there. And it was Robert. You're probably going to go somewhere with us. Yeah. What I was going to say was, you know, I, I found out on that podcast that they actually like had a movie producer produce this thing. It took them three, it was scripted. It took them three weeks. So this wasn't just Mary Kane, you know, whatever. And I guess maybe this is why some people complain about the New York times, because it's certainly not, I mean, there's an agenda here and they're going in a certain way, but um, I feel like a lot of people, you know, feel like it's deserved. Um, you know, there were some things about the piece that weren't my favorite, but we can talk about that later. Yeah, and you used the word scripted, and at first I, I would be offended by that word. I was like, because the allegations are very serious, and but I think Lindsay uses that word herself. John, there's so many layers to this, as you said, and I think I guess the first thing I want to say before we get in sort of some sort of inside baseball talk about this, because there's once we start peeling off these layers, we get, might get away from the seriousness of the, the allegations, and people might think we're trying to diminish them, but we're not trying to do it all. But kind of one of the first things I want to get across is like, I feel like we as a running community failed Mary Kane. Like the fact she got to this point, I think a lot of us aren't surprised that maybe it didn't work out for her as a successful runner, but I don't think anyone thought it would be at this point where she was, you know, having suicidal thoughts saying they were dismissed. But before she joined the Oregon Project, I remember Robert saying, like, oh, my God, someone needs to, like, call her dad. Does she know what she's getting into? But, you know, she had the top agent in the world. She's going to what she thinks is the top program in the world. And she gets to the point where she's so despondent. It was like this. I mean, it's just sad. You know, even I remember hearing a podcast with her and she was – Sidious Mag and Chris Chavez, and they he, they ask, "What's the worst thing said about you?" And let's run. And she's like, "Oh, there were comments before she was a pro discussing her." And I'm like, "Holy shit! Like we should have another layer layer of standards when discussing high scores." And I think we do. But she was so prominent, she sort of crossed all these bars. I mean, the first time I really saw her, John, she was holding a stuffed animal in the mix zone at USA's. It's I think one of the tragic things about this is Mary Kane, you know, I covered her for a couple of years when I was just starting reporting this sport and she was always sort of the goofball, very, you know, always happy and sort of joking around and, you know, she just looked like she was a high schooler having a good time and it's it's just devastating to see that behind the scenes what was actually happening and that joy was was robbed from her. That's that's really tough. But I think one of the things, here, here's what's complicated about this though, okay? Are we just saying that, 
she should have ruled out any contact with Alberto Salazar from the beginning because Salazar comes in, starts coaching her, and 2013, she has a terrific year. She wins the U.S. Indoor title. She makes the World Championship team. She makes the World Championship final. The next year, she wins the World Junior title. And I think people... Like you know, let's say we should have stepped in and said Mary Kane should not be working with Alberto Salazar. He has this win at all cost mentality. I think he would have had supporters of her maybe saying, "No, she she should be able to choose her own destiny. If she wants to work with this person who's brought her great the success, who are you to step in and limit her free choice?" And I think you know ultimately it was proved not to be correct. But and you know that probably isn't an atmosphere for high schoolers given what we know about Salazar. But I think it also gets to the the point of free, point of free choice, and you know, who are we to say who an athlete should or shouldn't be working with? I guess. Yeah, John. Before I chime in here, I I want to start with kind of with well in the sense of say that you know as we do dissect this, like let it be clear. I I'm very sorry that Mary had to go through this. Very sorry that anyone had experienced this. It's like when talking about in a similar way, like the Castro Semenya or the Francine Niemstapel, like the pain that she felt is real, and it's very sad that she had to feel it, but. Yeah, it's an interesting topic, John. I mean, in the sense of, I mean, I think some of this, Salazar acted like an ass and should be ashamed. I mean, he didn't have her whole being in interest. He was just about winning. He was very short-sighted in the way he treated her, and it totally has blown up in his face. But, you know, you're talking about should she be allowed to go pro? I mean, you could take it a step farther back, back to the high school scene of this was a woman that quit her own high school team. You know, that was her family's decision. And if you go back and read that Sunday times piece on them, it's like, there's a weird line in there. It says like, and no one will really explain what happened and why she's not on the team here and why she's not part of it. So it's just a very nuanced. There's a lot of layers here. We're going to try to dissect. I don't think that the proper way to think about this is who's to blame, you know, her parents, Alberto, Ricky Sims, the running community, you know, obviously partial blame to Mary herself. I mean, all of this is on top of each other, but there's a right and a wrong. And what's clear is, you know, you, you shouldn't be a, a woman who becomes suicidal because she's not performing well. Those needs should be treated very, very seriously. And, and, and that's life threatening, obviously. That's when it needs to. I mean, hey, if you don't realize it, then when are you going to realize it? Yeah, I, I think one of the issues here is, uh, you know, we know it, it's become clear. Albodo is obsessed with winning. He's obsessed with lo- raising athletes' testosterone levels. He's obsessed with the weight. Those are, you know, some of the, the things that are essentially the hallmarks of his coaching career. And he treated Mary, I think, as he would treat Mo Farah or Galen Rupp or any athlete when it came to weight. And he's, he doesn't seem to think there's a big issue with that. He said, you know, his he had an apology. Well, Sort of, it was a semi apology, really, to Ken Go uh, in the Oregonian last night, and he said that's part, weight is a part of elite sport. Um, maybe that needs to be changed. Indeed, I have always treated men and women similarly in this regard. To treat my female athletes differently, I believe, would not be in their personal interests or in the interests of promoting their best athletic performance. But you just you can't be saying these sort of things to a nineteen year old girl to be calling her out, fat shaming her. She says that he was weighing her in front of people he i don't think i think salazar has denied that claim but this is having he needs to think of her what mental well-being he can't just be thinking about like she needs to be lighter to run faster and who even like this is a 19 year old girl that's going through this stuff i mean her body might be changing you can't just be he can't just be thinking like she needs to be at this weight to run fast he needs to be thinking about what is a healthy weight for her as a human being not as as an athlete this robot 
Correct. I mean, it's come out since this this Kane piece came out. You know, Amy Yoder Begley, Kara Goucher, Adam Goucher have talked about uh, Jackie Aronson, even Steve Magnus have all talked about how Goucher has, I mean, Salazar made insensitive remarks about many women's weight. So not just Mary Kane. But the difference here is, I mean, Alberto was just not equipped to be coaching a 16, 17, 18-year-old woman because what's clear, and I've talked to some female coaches on, on, at the collegiate level since this broke privately, and they don't want their names to be, to be mentioned, but, you know, it seems like anyone with a brain would realize her body's developing. We need to let the body finishing developing. I mean, there's a reason why the Foot Locker curse existed for so many years. No woman who won the high school national championship in cross country had ever won the NCA cross country championship until Molly Seidel in 2015. And it's because a lot of these women's bodies changes and they don't, once they change the, the changes are designed for childbearing and that may not be produce conducive to elite high level running. So what he should have done was let her body change and then try to work with those changes, you know, and I was, you know, and I think that I, I think all three of us have talked about this in one sense of, I think one of the saddest things is, you know, Mary clearly thinks, and or at least the way the article was, was headlined, I was one of the fastest girls in America until I joined Nike. The implication of that headline, and I saw even a few people in the New York Times comments saying this, is that Nike ruined her as a runner. I personally, I guess we'll never know. Um, I imagine that Mary would not be, well, I don't know. Do you guys think that Salazar's the reason why she's not a, a or it doesn't even matter that she's the reason why she's not, you know, a world beater right now. I think the cause and effect is backwards, right? Like I think she started, her body started changing. She wasn't running as well. Alberto's like, holy shit, she needs to lose weight. And then all these things spiraled and, you know, they failed her as a human being from what she's alleging. So I think that that's different. I think the, you'll, you you can never go back and say, oh, well, if he hadn't yelled, maybe he hadn't yelled at her and been so obsessed on food, she would have developed more naturally. I mean, there's tons of other examples of people who didn't go train with Alberto Salazar, who were child phenoms, Georgie Clark, who, who weren't top level pros. And maybe that's sort of the discussion we should have as a society bigger. Obviously, like you know, fat shaming, how you treat an 18 year old kid. Should you treat a female differently than a male? There's a lot of issues, things packed it on this. Certain people can handle things better. Like a, a person who's 16 and, and, hand, and handling a stuffed animal should be treated then differently than one who doesn't. Um, you say Alberto shouldn't be coaching a 16 or 17 year old. I mean, he would say, look, she was phenomenal as a 17 year old. And the problems really started in 2014 to 2015. Essentially, her freshman year of college was when she was gone. And people forget that the piece was so effective. But I think she was in Oregon by herself for less than one full year. It was like a freshman year of college. And then she came home. And she was been at home for the last three years and hasn't gotten a lot better. Now, maybe he wrecked her to such a case. And I'm not, I'm not trying to like let him off the hook in any stretch of the imagination. But the piece was so effective this thing all happened very quickly out in Oregon, you know, whatever went off the rails. So I just, if, you know, if, if you have a top notch phenom runner, especially a female, there's just so many things that you need to be aware of. And I don't even know. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't look. Do I think that if Mary Kane had never gone to Alberto Salazar, that she would be making World Championship finals right now? Like Robert said, we can't know. I I would probably lean towards no, um, because she was already starting to backslide a little bit, and I think, like Weldon said, that's what sort of led. But then Alberto and the NOP exacerbated this stuff because they were telling her to lose weight and stuff, and then she the, she ends up not getting her period for three years, and she ends up with all these bone fractures, and that sort of stuff, I think, really ruined any chance she had to sort of come back in 2016, 2017, once she got out of uh, out of Oregon. Yeah, good point, John. I mean, one of the coaches I was talking to, he he, he sort of raised the hypothetical. Like, let's say he goes somewhere where they, they have a track record of really um, being successful with young women. Let's say he goes to Michigan. And you can a lot of women can get bigger and they get stronger and they can still run well. He's like, I imagine she probably would have, you know, kept that, you know, kind of like an Alexa Framson. Like she's at the same level she was at high school. She's not necessarily faster. So Mary Kane might have been, you know, maybe she's stuck at a four hundred four level. That's still a very good level at the NCAA level and, and stuff like that. But you know, Alberto's already putting pressure on her that she should be running three fifty five. And I think what really happened here is he doesn't realize that. If you restrict that weight and she starts losing her period, there's long-term permanent, you know, ramifications in terms of bone density, which is a real, real problem. And one of the coaches I was talking to, I said, like, look, what percentage of the women on a college team have sort of irregular periods and, you know, are missing their periods? He's like, oh, I think it's pretty high at the D1 level. He's like, it wouldn't shock me now, you know, if on a large team, if up to like close to 50% at some point during their college career had struggled with this. I was like, really that high? He said, yes. Now he's like, but of the all Americans that I've coached, he'd say he's like probably about 5%. So he's like the, the, the ones that do well are the ones that are living healthy. They're feeling healthy. You know, you can't restrict yourself you know, to, to that level. And in one of these pockets, I think it was Molly Huddle. She said, I think people view it wrongly. You know, you get fit and because you're fit, the, the weight, you're not even, it's like when I was running, Weldon's running, you don't, I, people are like, what'd you eat? I'm like, I was running so much. It didn't matter. Like what I was eating really like you're fueling and you're fit and the weight naturally goes off. You don't lose weight and then get fast, or at least in the long term. That's not sustainable. Um, but, uh, you know, one thing that was interesting and I, I saw this, I, I thought this at the time, I sort of said I, I, the headline hit me as weird. And there's a, a New York Times comment from Matt in Seattle that I thought really was perfect, sort of one of my complaints about the, the, the title. And I was the fastest girl in America until I joined Nike. Well, yes, she was a girl when she joined it. But when, she, when most of these allegations happened, I think she was 18, right? And I didn't like how at the end of the article says girls need to protect it. I think everybody needs to protect it. Women, men, boys. Girls, you know, it's interesting how women, they want to be used as, this is what's so effective about the piece and the marking of it. Kane was one of the highest paid athletes in, in, in women's professional sports. And she was a legal adult when, when this ended, you know, and yeah, but we're going back to the girls term because it has maximum, maximum, maximum effectiveness. That's why the, the, whoever scripted this did an amazing job. But Matt in Seattle, let me just read this quote, quote. The headline for this story is provocative, but I think it sends the wrong message. And he's focusing not on the girls' comment, but on the fastest comment. What if Salazar's training methods had been successful? If Kane had broken a world record, would that have vindicated them? And this is the part I love. Abusive behavior is abusive, regardless of the outcome. Kane's declining performance was, in a way, her salvation. 
it made it easier for her to walk away. I thought this was such a good comment. Imagine if, imagine how old is Mary Kane right now, John? 23, 24? Imagine if she's running 357 right now and hasn't had her period in six years. We wouldn't hear a damn word about this because she would be thriving. She'd be successful and the abuse would be worth it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I, I think that's so. Let's be careful about that. We don't know if that's true. I don't think Robert's saying it would be worth it, but like a lot of people would be like, oh, she's running so well, there isn't a problem, and there could be all these other problems. And that's the, the, that's the deal. You know, it is, that's a very insightful comment. There's just so many issues. And like, I think sometimes it takes a piece like this and such a superstar. It's very sad that someone's career, I mean, maybe she can get it back together, but had to fall apart for this. But like, it brought up all so many things that need to be discussed. Eating issues with women is such an issue in the sport that needs to be discussed. We'll link to that podcast in the show notes. But Lindsay Krauss herself said, like, when she was in high school, she was recruited to go to Harvard and she got in so she could early, so she could kind of blow off school the second semester of her high school, final semester of high school. She says she said she started focusing on running and eating right. She dropped 20 pounds in three months, stopped having her period, didn't have it for a year, um, she said. And I think Harvard prevented her from competing at first. So certain schools can handle this differently. Some schools let you compete. I mean, there's just all of these things that need to be discussed. Yeah, I, I thought that Lindsay's personal story with the eating was amazing. I mean, she said she showed up at Harvard. They had a physical and said, are you having a period? And she said no. And they said, okay, you can't run. End of story. You can't run. So that really helped her. She said, and I was able to get over it very quickly. But she, her comment was really amazing. She said, of the distance runners she knows, you know, and she's someone that ran collegiately. She said she doesn't know a single female that didn't either have eat a problem with eating at some point during their career or feel guilty for not having a problem in the sense of like th they view that as a sign of dedication. Like you should, you know, really restrict your eating. So it is a very, very, you know, difficult thing, you know, to, to deal with um, on that front. And, you know, it, it's just, you know, win at all costs. The, 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 I think it's well, really, it's larger than Mary Kane. It's larger than women's eating. It's, it, it's when, when that's your mindset, you know, whether it's a business, whether it's a uh, eating, whatever, there's ramifications for, it. you know, people are just fired on the spot for 20 years with no, no retirement. I mean, it's, it's just a societal problem, really. Well, this is, and the, the topic of weight with women's distance runners is a very sensitive one for obvious reasons, but I'm I'm kind of interested, you know, and this I think this applies more to college women, but also to, it's really to any professional women. Like, if you're a male coach or any coach, how do you have a conversation about weight? Like in the case of Mary Kane, is Alberto if he sh thinks she's getting heavy, does he just say nothing because her body's going through changes and he shouldn't say something? Is there a co correct way to address it? Like, I guess what I really like to hear from is from professional and collegiate women about like how they think this topic should be addressed. Because look, it's indisputable. Weight has an impact on performance. And I think if you're a coach and you see, you know, th there is a point where an athlete puts on enough weight, you you're going to think that's negatively affecting their running. And I, I guess, how do you bring that up? Do you say, you know, do you, do you put it mildly and just say, do you think you could lose a couple pounds? Is that inappropriate? Like how, how is this topic supposed to be addressed? Cause I was talking to a, collegiate uh, a top collegiate coach yesterday about this and they were basically saying yeah it's tough to know exactly how to address it and i think i have a pretty good idea but like i don't know i'd, I'd love to hear from professional women about 
about it? Like, how do they bring it up? Because I think, you know, you bring it up. I, I think it's a topic that needs to be discussed, but how to discuss it, I, I don't I don't think I'm probably prepared to, to say weigh in on that. Correct. I mean, I think a lot of women listen to this podcast are like, how are three guys going to discuss this? I mean, I, I think that one of the things is it would be, I don't know. Be one of the, one of the last things I would focus on. Like, what you need to lose weight? No, you need to train properly. You need to eat healthy. And I think, John, I think the, the weight generally, for the most part, will naturally take care of itself. Right. Right. So you have a nutritionist. You have these things. Um, you know, one thing that I, I don't know if the right word is bothered, but one of the things that made this piece so powerful, but which I think was misleading, was all male dominated men versus women exploit the male exploitation of women. And I don't think, you know, and again, this is one of the featured New York Times comments. I don't think this is exclusively a male versus female thing. I do agree with Mary Kane that in the sense of, I think if there was more women coaches involved, more women in power, you would get a different perspective. Yes. But there's plenty of abusive coaches. I mean, I, I when I was coaching, I, I, I know of a female coach that was, some viewers partially to blame for a suicide of one of the athletes because they were so insensitive. It was all about winning. It was all about performance. And this person committed suicide and it didn't make the New York times, but you know, Kelly in Sonoma, California, I'm sorry to say this abusive style of coaching is just not a male phenomenon. My daughter wrote in high school with a girl, went on a row in D one college. The female head coach demanded that her varsity girls make weight as lightweights, which is 130 pounds. All of these women were six feet tall. Weigh-ins were public and shaming. Our Quinn, our friend quick, thankfully quit in the first season. So, you know, that was one of the things that, you know, I think Salazar – college coaches know how to deal with this because, you know, they're coaching women all the time. Salazar only has a few women on the team. Most of them are adults. They, for the most part, like when he picks up a Kara Goucher or when he picks up a, um, you know, one of these elite athletes, it's kind of like picking up a, a college athlete. Like they they've pretty much probably already know how to handle their weight because otherwise they wouldn't be that successful. You know what I'm saying? Like if you have an eating disorder, it's not gonna you're not gonna be able to sustain your running for very long. So when you pick up a 25 year old runner and start coaching her, it's much easier. Although apparently he did try to fat shame them and get them to lose more weight. Right, but when you pick up a Kara Goucher or even Amy Yoder, who and, and they've sort of backed up that Alberto was obsessed with weight, was very insensitive in how they talked about it. But when you're talking to a 28 year old old adult pro, I think you can do that differently than an 18 year old old pro, but. I still think saying, you know, you got the fattest ass in the starting line isn't the way to do it. But, you know, I guess somebody might argue, well, Nick Saban might say hey, to some lineman, hey, you're a fat ass, you need to lose some weight. There's different ways to talk to different people. But you want to, uh, you know, shaming someone probably isn't isn't the way to do it. You know, I, interesting how, how you approach this too, John. I mean, in, in running with the Buffalo, one of the comments is Coach Wetmore you know, says to Adam Goucher, I want you to look like a skeleton in a condom or something like that. A, con- a skeleton with a condom pulled over it, right? I mean, the line I remember is like, he wanted to be able to see Goucher's ribs. And it's sort of thrown away as like, a, in passing a little bit, kind of joking. But at the same time, he's like, I think he might have he might have called Goucher fat in there. Like there was definitely like, Wetmore knew that weight was, was it, or Wetmore believed weight was important for Goucher. Correct. Adam Goucher, to clarify. You know, and I think it may be easier... I don't know. It's not as it's harder for a man to have bone disease issues than a woman. Um, so it, it's certainly easier on, on the men's side. I think, you know, and, and if you look at Steve Magnus's quotes on this, he's like, look, we were doing body fat percentages on these athletes. Like some of them, like they couldn't, they weren't supposed to lose any more weight, but Alberto still thought they were fat, you know? So I think Alberto was just, 
he wasn't accurate in his assessment of some of these women. There could be the issue that for Mary Kane, maybe to compete well, she did need, need to lose weight, right? But I think we would all agree, even if that was the case, if she was put in this spot, they handled it terribly. I mean, worse than terribly. If she became suicidal and then and even that was sort of handled differently because on the, on the New York Times piece, she sort of, it's because it's not a news piece. She can say, I was suicidal. I tried to cut myself and they pretty much just want to go to bed. She was also then on Good Morning America and her mother. And the mother said, or I think, or there Mary Kane said, Darren Treasurer, the sports psychologist said, oh, he just told me to stop. So that's slightly different. So like there's all these angles you know, we got to come out about exactly what happened. So that's where I sort of stick back to the easier big picture of like the NLP failed Mary Kane, Alberto Salazar and crew mistreated her. So, you know, and then we can discuss how, not how badly that was, but like what should have been done differently, the abuse, but it hit every term. Like we haven't gotten back to this. I talked to three people and I'll say, what your impression These are sort of casual people. And they're like, he starved. The impression was like, oh, he starved her, and that's why she didn't compete well. And I'm like, well, that's not. It's not how I would view it. And then they said, well, it's kind of like the gymnast. And I'm like, gymnast? That was sexual assault. Then Robert, I asked my dad if he'd heard about it, and he, dad said, oh yeah, I've heard about it. And he knows Alberto's sort of like my number one nemesis in the sport. And he's talking about. It. He knows a lot about Alberto. And then he's like, well, I guess there's not sex. I don't think there's sexual assault. I'm like, what? Why would you even think there's sexual assault? But people here abuse young kids, and it's just terrible. We don't want anyone to be abused. But like beyond Mary Kane, there's just a lot of issues with food and weight going on. Yeah, that's why the piece was brilliant in the sense of if you're trying to get maximal impact, it was done perfectly because they used the words emotional and physical abuse but left it very vague. So people's imaginations are going to go wild. You've got the big company. You've got the young girl. It was just you know, amazingly done. John, you got the master's in journalism and we can bring up this. And again, maybe we should bring it up. The best way to do it might be to, to bring up the, uh, the newsletter and, and her complaints um, about the way this is done. Because I think some journalists had a problem with the piece, some aspects of the piece in the sense of Mary Kane was given six and a half minutes to read off of a script or partial of a script and just destroy Alberto Salazar. And then at the end of the piece, there's literally one sentence and it says, in an email, Alberto Salazar denied many of Mary's claims and said he had supported her health and welfare. What does that mean? Which part did he decline? Did he deny that the fact that they ignored her when she was supposedly suicidal? Like that part, I thought could have been much more elaborated, John. And maybe what did the you? I know you thought this way, John, and some other people, including female journalists, agreed with you. Yes, yeah, Sarah Lodge Butler had a great piece for the Fast Women website where she essentially was like, "This was in, produced from their opinion department." why you know why wasn't this a news story why weren't we getting more like you said more detail on what claim because when i read the claims salazar denied some of the claims i was like well yeah we need to know which ones he's denying which ones he isn't we need to you know did, what did he say in the statement can we get a quote from salazar something like that and then the other thing was that this this was detail was huge to me which was not addressed at all in the initial new york times story which was that salazar Kane had tried to rejoin the Oregon project as recently as this spring. He was texting her and that like she comes out later and she gives an explanation and says, yes, you know, I, I, it's part of me still wanting to impress Alberto and it was tough. And I, I can understand that. That's fine. But I feel like that's something 
if the New York Times knew that and didn't include it in the opinion piece, I feel like it's a disservice. And maybe you can say, oh, well, it was an opinion piece. It wasn't, you know, straight news story, straight journalism. So it's okay to not include it. To me, no. I think by not including that part of the story, you're intent, you're leaving out something that's a that's an important feature. And Mary had an answer for it, which is which is great. But to neglect that, I think is you know is unprofessional. And I also the also the other thing was they used the term physical abuse. I mean, I guess you can say because she was cutting herself. Maybe I find that a little bit misleading because I'm on the Wikipedia page for physical abuse right now, and it says it's an intentional act causing injury or trauma to another person or animal by way of bodily contact. That claim was never made. I mean, I think Salazar emotionally abused her and what his actions may have led or his words may have led to her cutting herself. But I didn't see any evidence of physical abuse. No, John, I, I think that the physical abuse, yes, it doesn't meet that definition, the technical definition. I think the physical abuse, but this is why it was brilliantly done would be, he told her to lose weight. So she lost weight. She didn't eat properly. And then that caused her to lose her period. She's not producing enough estrogen and destroyed her bone density. And she got all these stress fractures. So it was like indirect physical abuse. But yes, the way that most people see that, I mean, we have people like my own father speculating whether it was sexual abuse. So, you know, it, it was amazing. Yeah, but like, that's just uh, misinformed. That's because he hasn't read the story. He's just sort of leaping to a conclusion. I don't think that was ever intimated in the story for anyone who read it. It's kind of, so- John, like, what, maybe you studied this in, in school. Like, what is the role of journalism? If you take these exact same facts... Mary Kane comes to you, John, and we write a story. Mary Kane says Alberto Salazar, you know, gave her a weight of 114 pounds to hit, and she didn't hit it. And, you know, he yelled at her and called her fat, and we have Kerry Goucher saying, or uh, we have Amy Yoder Begley saying, I, he told me I had the fattest ass on the start line, and he cut me from the team. And then we have, even the, to me, though, the most telling thing, and I've heard a few people say this comment, is like, now what about the fat? What about the suicide? I became suicidal, and they ignored me. But then we, John, you being in a reporter would probably go to Alberto. He would deny it and he'd say, we stayed up all night with her or whatever, pretty much ignored. I mean, you would have all the facts. This story doesn't do anything. It's inside baseball. Nobody pays any attention to it. It's the fact that it was the New York Times. It was just her speaking. It was brilliant. It was brilliant in that sense. And in some ways, we're going to have needed change. It's kind of like the, 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 the pregnancy stories. I mean, some people say Allison Felix was already out of contract. Maybe it wasn't accurately done, but it was certainly effectively done. And we're going to have real positive change. And this is going to sound weird to, to make this, this leap, but I live in Baltimore and, you know, we had riots about the police and, you know, it, it's an interesting thing. Do I think that you should riot? Do I think that was justified? No, I do not. I, for that one event, no, but, do I think that it had a good a good impact in the sense of needed reforms to the police are being made? Damn right I do. So it's weird. Like sometimes by doing something maybe over the top, you get noticed. No, I, I think the way they did it, I think it was still a really, really good piece and the way everything was phrased. But I, I do think like, you know, there was – right. I think Sarah, if you read Sarah Lodge Butler's piece, I think it's really good because she's essentially like, look, all the follow-up stuff – we had people weighing in on Twitter like Jackie Arison and Amy Yoda Begley and Cara Goucher, and they're all saying the sort of stuff that happened to them when they were part of the Oregon Project. Whereas if this was a more you know, investigation-heavy piece, you would have those perspectives actually coming across in a news story as opposed to people saying on Twitter, oh yeah, th- that was the culture that happened to me at the time. But we are having this, this discussion in one way or another, which is a good thing. Correct. Now, uh, and again, some of the journalism I thought, like when she she went on Good Morning America the next day, right? And they had her and her mother on. 
And then Good Morning America, though, you know, by this point, Nike had issued a statement. But Good Morning America only put out part of that statement. They didn't put out the fact that she tried to rejoin the team in April. I don't – some people say, oh, you're victim-blaming. No, I just think it's a relevant fact. And one of the things I'm interested in this story, I would love to hear more from her own mother because, you know, part of the story is this came out and the mother sent her – they sent her on the – their parents put her on the first plane home. But then supposedly this year she went back to Portland. Like, I know that you can't control what a 20-year-old is doing. You know, I can't even control what a 2-year-old is doing in my own personal life. So if kids want to do what they want to do. But – if they had totally ignored their suicide, would a parent really – I don't know. I think I would do everything in my absolute power. I would fly out to Portland to prevent my child, who, if someone had ignored their suicides, from even going close to that. I would do everything I could to stop that. Yeah, it is interesting because like once you start doing interviews and they went on other outlets, you heard different angles to it. Um, yeah, maybe the mother didn't know the extent of it this June and more stuff came out this summer and some of the, I don't know, me too stuff. And maybe the joking allegations came out and then Kane told more stuff to her parents, right? Maybe they didn't know that then, but on good morning America, I found thing, one thing very interesting with her mother. Um, the mother said, they're like, when did you first detect problems? And it was something along the lines of like, Oh yeah. 2014 after she won world juniors, Mary called us and said, yeah, I'm not going to race anymore this summer. They don't think I'm fit. And she's like, the mother says like, oh, she just won World Juniors. It was such a great race. Like, this is crazy. And this was all before Mary lived in Portland full time, which is interesting. So the mother's saying like, this was the big thing. And this is before any of us in this eating stuff had actually happened. Maybe then they were already saying she was overweight. But the interesting thing is in 2014, Let's rewind. 2013, Mary makes worlds, wins USA. It's fabulous. 2014, she wins the Milrose Games, wins another USA Indoor title. She does an interview at USA Indoors, and she sort of jokes at the end, and she says, bring on Dababa. She then has her first injury, does not run world indoors, slowly doesn't run quite as fast outdoors, and wins the world juniors, and that's it. First American ever to win a world juniors, but the time wasn't that fast. And I think inside people in running said, oh, she's not at the level she was last year. And I think Alberta would argue, I didn't race her that summer because she was going to get destroyed as a pro. And this is where some of the stuff we talk about going pro. She got second at USA's that year. She wouldn't have gotten destroyed. John, you run 406 in Europe, you're getting destroyed. In what meets? So what? If you're a 19-year-old getting destroyed in the Diamond League, who cares? Go to like some lower tier meet of Belgium. She could have raced that summer. She got second at USA's. I think think they had the wrong expectations for her in the project. She has Usain Bolt's agent, all this other stuff. Maybe then the only race I saw her injured in was she was injured in the Diamond League final at some time. John, would you admit she would have gotten destroyed in the Diamond League final? I mean, probably, but that's like months after the race she's peaking for in, against the very best woman in the entire world. Uh, but I don't disagree with the decision not really to race her, but maybe you teach her, you go to Europe and get her beaten some races and then they reset expectations. I think they sort of protected her, Alberto and the crew. And they probably thought, oh, and then the next year she wasn't even close to being what she was in 2015. And that's after all of this. She had a full year away from home, Alberto, all this other stuff. So I'm just sort of saying it's interesting to see where people say the problem started because the mom is talking about something a month after she graduated from high school. Yeah. And one thing about the mom, and I don't want to, you know, you raise a good point. 
Mary could have easily hidden the suicide stuff. So perhaps the parents were unaware of the suicide stuff until this month. So that is one point. But this is why I would like to know more about this. And John, I was someone though that I, I said right after that season when she won World Juniors, I'm like, I don't think she's a fit. She didn't PR. That was the first time I thought, wait a minute, something might be happening here. One thing that's really interesting here though is in the sense of, you know, again, it's like I was the fastest girl in America until I joined Nike. It's like Nike is to blame for her not being the fastest girl in America anymore. And that's not necessarily true. I mean, one thing I was looking at is, you know, I was looking back at, at that World Junior year and she did a victory lap with Stephanie Jinks. Well, Stephanie Jinks didn't even barely even ran in college. If you look her up, I think she went to Cal. Like she's got no results at all since 2016. So there's so many teenage girls. It's just so hard for them. Their body develops. And this is why last year I started saying with everyone's all excited about Caitlin too. I'm like, I'm not excited. Get, tell me when they're PRing at 18 or 19, then I'll start to get excited because it's so much change is going on. You need to address that change. You get bigger and then start training better and see what happens. You can get stronger. You can get more powerful. You know, thinner should not be the goal. Faster is the goal, not thinner. You know, and one thing though, that's interesting here is sort of, I don't know. Like I, I sent this this story to my. I always use my Hillary Clinton speech writing friend, um, former female athlete, and she was not as sympathetic as I thought at all. She's like, "Oh, men are." She she just thought that. I don't know. Like, she thinks and like it is true. Like men sometimes. There's a lot of actually things with men and weight in elite sports that no one gives a shit about. And actually one of the college coaches I talked to said this very same thing. He said that the head doctor at their school was like, look, the nutritionists are really focused on a woman cross country runner, not wearing enough, not, not, not weighing enough. And if they're not having the period, that's an automatic sign. They won't even look at the whole picture sometimes and they're banned from running, which may be a good thing. Like uh, Lindsey Krause at Harvard, but no one says a damn thing when there's a 200 pound freshman who shows up and he's told to gain 50 pounds to play linebacker or told to gain 60 pounds to play lineman. And someone is putting, he's like in 15 to 20 years, some of these linemen could be dead with heart disease or et cetera, because they put on so much weight, but no one, Hey, and that's what my friend was saying. She's like, men are viewed as, Oh, they can make the decision. They can go all in a sport. A wrestler can lose tons of weight. It's not healthy, but a man can make that decision. A woman is either a viewed as incapable of making this decision, or if she does make it, it was like she was exploited by the male by, by the system. It's off the male dominated system, just because more men are there. Even though there are sometimes, there, you know, we already cited the, the women's crew coach who was abusive. So I did think that the male female aspect of the story bothered me a little bit because I don't think it's just I, I don't think it's evil men wanting to the male domination is the is the cause of this. I mean, look at what's happening to these football players, like. It's, it's kind of interesting. I see the point, Robert. And I agree that if we make it that men are the problem, and then some people say, oh, free men shouldn't say that. But then I'm saying, well, you're just judging us because of a label. Shouldn't be allowed to comment. But fine, then don't be listening to this podcast. But I think the bigger issue here is the power imbalance and that Nike had no checks and balances. Alberto was allowed to run the Nike Oregon project, like his little backyard science experiment. We already had serious allegations. Now, some of these weren't out. The BBC ProPublica stuff did not come out until after Mary had already left Oregon, but but not she was still in the Nike Oregon project, but she'd already returned home. But there were allegations of, you know, getting prescription drugs from, from Dr. Brown. 
But at the very least, there's a huge power imbalance. And Eric Westland, our web developer who works at the University of Iowa as well with you know a lot of human resources stuff, said, look, the Nike Oregon project was not run like it was part of a billion-dollar corporation. It was run as some sort of like backyard science experiment. And Alberto, it's not he's just like some other coach. Like Sydney McLaughlin's a top pro. She's 19 years old. We assume she's sort of on her own, can make her own decision. She has a coach, but the coach isn't on the campus of her sponsor being pushed on her by her sponsor, essentially, and sort of given carte blanche to do what he wants, and including giving prescription drugs, that sort of stuff, and not with a lot of checks and balances in place. So just like sexual harassment at work or consensual relationships between people in this, you know, I'm not saying this was consensual, but just like the power imbalance makes the Mary Kane thing much different than I think a lot of other coaching situations. 100% agree. I mean, some people are like, oh, you know, she, she volunteered, she joined the pro group. Yeah, she did. But then she's in the pro group and Salazar is a big guy at Nike. It's hard to fight back against that. And also it's like when you go to the mechanic, the mechanic's the expert, like you're a young athlete, people blaming her parents. I'm not saying her parents are blameless. I would not, I would not, I would encourage my kid to go to college, no matter how much of a phenom that athlete they are. I think college is learning how to be an adult. I would love to them. let them fall in love, let them get their heart broken, let them struggle being away from home. It's like uh, college to me is more about what's going on outside the classroom than what's in the classroom. It's like four years of adjusting from living at home to being an adult. But it's like the, the, the her parents don't they're not professional they're not running experts. You know, now admittedly, they made the decision in high school to leave the team there too. So I'm not saying they're blameless, but it's just when you take your car to the mechanic, you kind of have to trust the mechanic. When you take your Nike, you think, oh, they know what they're talking about. Well, I don't like using the word blame because her parents let her go pro, but then it, you don't, you're sort of assumed they're going to be put in good hands. And that if uh, that's where we sort of I feel like we need to know more some of the details of exactly what happened because. But these the suicide stuff and the cutting was at a whole nother level. Am I shocked that Alberto told her to cut weight? Did it very insensitively? Kind of like Woody Hayes or somebody back in the day? No, not at all. Is Alberto a terrible women's coach? I mean, that like, right? He just coached a woman to doing the most unbelievable double you've ever seen in your life that's never been possible. So to act like he was out to destroy her or something isn't accurate. And John, I sort of, you were saying like, oh, the whole sexual abuse thing was crazy. There's no, not even a hint of that, like anywhere on anything, like no one should make that assumption, but it's crazy. Some of the assumptions people have made of this. Here's a Bloomberg piece. John, do you consider Bloomberg to be a reputable news organization? First of all. Yes. Okay. This is by Eben Novi Williams on Bloomberg.com. Nike Inc. plans to investigate claims by track and field athlete, Mary Kane, who said she was starved and ultimately had suicidal thoughts after joining the company's now disbanded Oregon Project running program. Do you, would you say she said she was starved? No. Right. I mean, to me, that's just crazy. He said insensitive comments away about starved. She got to choose what she ate. Maybe they weren't cooking her meals. And there wasn't even, this came up on our call on Monday. There was a co- piece, you know, Lindsey Krauss did write some stuff up in conjunction with the piece. And there was a part in there saying she went in her room and snuck back, balance bars or you know energy bars. energy bars excuse me you know because the meals being cooked were so light and you took that to mean mary kane and actually it's now after rereading it you agreed it was talking about kara goucher but i think a lot of people read that they're like oh yeah they prevented her from getting food she was starved but no that was kara goucher it just hits all these things and people are like they want to protect this girl maybe we should say woman it's going to bring about a lot of change i think that's sort of the good thing 
let's fast forward sort of, we're going to get talk about moderating and discussing things, but there was a huge thread on let's run tied around. I wonder if some of these issues, because it was in this fall of 2015 and we started this thread LRC discussion, finding the right proper ways to discuss eating disorders, women's weight issues, and let's run. And that thread, we started it because one people were discussing college runners and if they were too thin and people were like, you shouldn't allow this discussion at all. And the number two reason was there was a thread discussing the weight of a pro female athlete and whether she had put on weight. And I'm wondering if this was actually Mary Kane. Um, this is in September of 2015. And so we removed that thread, but then we're said, like, look, how should we talk about this? And some people are like, do not talk about this at all. You shouldn't be let, let men or anyone talk about women's bodies, blah, blah, blah. And someone else wrote us and they said, as a female collegiate athlete, and as someone who is once a female athlete, actually, this person posted anonymously on the forum, so we can get there about the, have that whole discussion later. But actually, she, this person didn't write us. She said, I think it's important that eating disorders can be discussed on Let's Run. Many programs at the collegiate and high school level don't allow for visibility of this issue. When it happens, it's swept under the rug. So it, it sort of goes on from there. I think it's pretty typical format for eating disorder development. And while Let's Run doesn't have a huge female population, we do log on here. It saved my life and several additional hospital visits to see a thread debating about whether one of my idols had a health issue slash eating disorder. So it's crazy. Like by allowing some of this discussion, the Lindsey Krauss article is going to prompt even more discussion. But even like we, the people act like it's very easy to moderate all this stuff and allow the discussion. So, but like now this person saying, well, letting people talk about whether a pro was actually too thin helped save her life. And so should we allow the discussion about someone, whether it's too fat, like that's a whole different issue. These issues need to be discussed. And then listening to that podcast with Molly Huddle, and you're hearing from the survivors, the ones who made it out successfully. And a lot of people don't. So now we're hearing from different sides. So I think at the very least, hopefully the running world and a lot of women and men who have suffered from these things are at a better spot. We've talked about this for a long time. We need to move on to something else. But one of the things I really tried to do when I was coaching was you got to have your best, your athlete as a whole person's interest. That's what you got to be focused on. I even think the really successful athletes, there's a lot of pressure on them. And one of my best runners was in tears because he couldn't win Hepsi every year. And I just think that, you know, one of these comments from Mick in New York State and New York Times, athletes of all genders are too often treated as objects for the coaches and business owners' success and financial gain. They too often use extreme regimens based on personal experience rather than scientific evidence and have little regard for any long-term ramifications for the athlete. And that's well said. You need to think about the athlete, you know, not as just someone to win a medal for Nike or the USA or score a touchdown for the 49ers or Patriots. You just think about them as a person. So, Mary, we hope that your future is brighter. Been, we're glad to see that you're, you're powerful now and wish you the best of luck. Guys, well, let's move on and talk about some other things. And I know John still does not agree with me that the 2016 Olympic marathon results should be invalidated. Oh, my God. Here's our weekly segment on this. This is a good product. This is like Alberto Salazar, too. Every week, Robert's going to claim for these results to be invalidated. The Salazar band's coming, and Salazar's soon no longer to be talked about on Let's Run. We're going to need to <laughs> Yeah, we'll bl- I'll believe that when I see it. Alberto Salazar's not going to be talked about on Let's Run.com. Yeah, right. Al- it did come out this week. Alberto Salazar has appealed his ban, his doping ban, to WADA. No, he's appealed it to the CAS. 
court of arbitration for sport. And it'll be amazing. If he gets off, like, what will the narrative be? Be fascinating, really. Really, really it would be fascinating. But, John, I listened this week to the, speaking of podcasts, to the Clean Sport Collective podcast, which features uh, Kara Goucher. And they had a, a, this is from October 27th, so it was from a few weeks ago, and they did one on the, on the vapor fly. They had Ryan Hall, they had Goucher, they had a few other people. They also had Dr. Alex Hutchinson, who's a he's PhD. A, he's, he's a doctor? PhD. Oh, okay. In physics. Sorry for, sorry for disrespecting you, Alex. Fan of his work. He, he is a journalist and PhD, I think, in physics. And here's what he had to say about the Vaporflies. John will, John will probably try to argue that technically he doesn't call for a, an invalidation of the 2016 Olympics. Well, because he doesn't. Okay, but. well, you, let, let the visitors decide for themselves. In that respect. And I think it's good because, honestly, the I mean, I think the spirit is good because what happened in 2016 is unacceptable. And I think it's actually one of uh, – Maybe it was a brilliant marketing or maybe it was stupid, but for Nike to have used those shoes before every, anyone knew about them and to alter the course of, of like the Olympics, that started a lot of people off with a bitter feeling towards these shoes, and rightly so, because that, that should never have happened and it should never happen again. There you have it, folks. They altered the course of the 2016 Olympics. It should never have happened. The statute of limitations has not banned, has not ended. I will call on the IAAF to invalidate those results. And I've been – guys, have you heard? I don't know. I mean, I don't know if – I probably don't have time to talk about it on this podcast. We should wait till next week. But in the last week, I've talked to, to some high honchos in the IAAF. I've talked to John in this last World week. Athletics, Robert. Let's give it its proper name. The website, all the social media has changed. It's now World Athletics. It's The IAAF has ceased to be. Yes, it has a new name, folks. But I've talked to – John is a British man. Should be impressed, John. I had a 45-minute conversation with Lord – Sebco last week, and it was really interesting. His his vision of the sport. I think we'll talk about that in another week. But um, just want to let you know, John, I'm talking to Lord Co. I, I know you told me three days ago, Robert, but uh, it, it's okay. I was fascinated, Robert. Good get there, and Robert shared the audio with me with Lord Co's permission, and very interesting stuff. And I, I at least heard a vision for the sport, and we're gonna have more on that. So, Robert, true journalist. Except I forgot to ask him about the shoes. Darn it. It's fine. And also, Robert, yeah, what about the shoes? Like, have you found out about the allegation about the Brooks? Have you followed up on that yet? From the last no, podcast? I have not. I don't know anything about Brooks Weldon, but one thing I do know about in, on this podcast is Alex Hutchinson has something fascinating to see. And I agree with him on this. It's not the carbon fiber plate that is the controversial aspect of the shoe. He's like, that's existed since the 90s with Fila. In 2007, did you always know this? Haile Gebrselassie set a world record. And an Adidas shoe that had a carbon fiber plate. It's the foam and the carbon fiber plate, the new foam combined together that makes it over the top. So again, it's what I said last week. Yes, maybe Gabriel Celeste's shoe should have been over an unfair advantage, but you know, it's like debating pass interference. All I know is when you tackle somebody, that's pass interference. Well, so, not, not necessarily in 2019. But, uh... Good point, John. Good point. So, John, since we're talking about world athletics last week, they did mount the Diamond League cuts. Let's let's give the audience a broad overview of which events were sort of cut and which events weren't cut. It's kind of crazy because when these cuts came out, we were going to have an emergency podcast. <laughs> now we're like barely mentioning it because <laughs> the whole Mary Kane thing, I think rightfully sort of took over a discussion and brought up a lot of interesting points. But John, give us the lowdown. Yeah, well, I think there's it's because also the tendency is for people, these cuts come out and the tendency is for people to overreact and just be like, this is the end of these events. Like, it's going to change everything. It's like, well, 
it will change some things, but in some events, I don't think it's changing a ton right now. It could be the first step to significant change. But yeah, here's what happened. So two events were cut almost entirely. The uh, triple jump and the discus throw, men's and women's. Those are no longer Diamond League events. They'll be staged at one Diamond League meet per gender um, for those events. But they won't, you you know, the prize, there's way fewer opportunities to compete in the Diamond League. They're now being bumped down to the Continental Tour, where is where most of these athletes will compete. And they're not going to be in the final with all the big prize money there. Then there are two other events that the IAA, that World Athletics, sorry, I guess it's the Diamond League. The Diamond League, actually, it's the meeting directors. Those are the ones who who run the Diamond League. The, the World Athletics have provided a lot of funding as sort of the title sponsor of it, but, you know, they, they want the ones totally in charge of this thing. Yeah, good point, John. They're not in charge of the Diamond League. They're just a title sponsor. So the meet directors really are the ones that ultimately have the power here. Right, and the interesting thing is now the Diamond League will, for the first time, I think, in eight years, they're going to have a title sponsor in twenty. 20- 20 which is wanda the chinese conglomerate and that means that world athletics is actually they've put in over the last 10 years they've put in 50 million dollars roughly to the diamond league for supporting it and i think they're going to withdraw some of that money because wanda is now providing it and they're going to try to beef up the continental tour which is sort of the second tier i believe formerly the iaaf world challenge series so anyway there are two other events that are also no longer part of the diamond league point system they won't be contested in the final, and that's the 200 meters and the 3,000 meter steeplechase. But those events are still sticking around. Like the steeplechase, and both of them are still going to be contested at five meets per gender each. So there'll be five meets with women's 200, five meets from the men's 200, five meets with a men's steeple, five meets with a women's steeple. And what we've heard from Sebastian Coe is that when contested, it wasn't totally clear if it has to be within the 90-minute TV window or if it's just at the meet in general. Uh, I think we're still waiting on clarification on that. But for sure, if it's in the 90-minute TV window, those events will have full prize money, uh, the same amount of prize money as the normal Diamond League events. The only difference is they're going to be competed contested one fewer time than the other events, and they won't be at the Diamond League final, which has the beefed-up prize money. Yeah, and I ran the math because last year the steeplechase was only officially at four Diamond League events with the prize money. So this year there'll actually be one more regular season meet. They just won't have the final. And I think the math ends up being what? Was it 25 to 30% reduction? 30% reduction, yeah, 31%. So I I think like most steeplechases will probably look at this and especially like if it's, it's the same prize money, they'll just say, okay, we'll run these steeples in the Diamond League. And we won't, you know, maybe they'll run an extra 5K or something and try to make the final in that event. But they're still going to be going to these meets. Uh, and you look at some of the Americans, like I, I interviewed Courtney Frericks and she was saying she was kind of worried about the future, you know, the future of this event. This could be the first step towards minimizing it. And especially like if these, the steeples no longer shown on TV within the TV window, that could mean the shoe companies are less willing to pay as much or less willing to sponsor fe- steeple chases, both male and female, because they're not getting the same level of exposure. But she's also a woman. She skipped the Diamond League final last year anyway. And I don't think that, I think that was, had more to do with the schedule because it was right before Worlds. But, you know, it, it is kind of interesting. Like, she only competed in one Diamond League steeple last year anyway. Yeah, John, it was kind of interesting to me. I mean, they, they one of the things that, that Co told me was, you know, they really wanted to have this simple branding message. But, they ended up having two more Diamond League events that they sort of it sounds like two Diamond League meets sort of on probation for this year because they were going to cut it down to 12 instead of 14. 
but they, so they needed some extra events to fill it. So now they kind of have these events are part of the dining league, but not really. So it's still a little bit confusing. Um, but you know, I, I personally wish they'd tried to figure out a way. I was like, I feel like they could almost fully fit all the events just in a 90 minute window. Cause it, it was clear to me that the TV partners really wanted a 90 minute window. I know other sports aren't 90 minutes. That's what they wanted. He sat down with them, so they, they pushed that. I'm glad we're still on TV. They're trying to get, you know, they don't want to have it just be a highlight show. They want it to be live. And then apparently there were some really good TV numbers, not from America, but from, from Europe, with the late Worlds. They thought that would be bad for TV because you're competing against soccer and stuff like that. But apparently the Worlds had some very encouraging television numbers this year, which will be coming out shortly officially, which is very encouraging on that front. John, another story, it looks like Walton has something he wants to say before we go to the Olympic trials article, which you talked a little bit last year, but John, but you're getting some feedback from. Yeah, real quickly. I thought it was interesting that Co was saying, you know, the world schedule even needs to be more fan friendly. Like they're at least thinking of these things. I think the key for pre- for TV is the presentation. You have to t- educate people, build storylines. How can we come up with a better way to present the television? I love to hear feedback on that. If you have any ideas, email us, but people need to know what you're, they're watching. And I don't think the re- solution is to like, the Diamond League starts, John. How does the Diamond League usually start? Everybody go. Tell me. For, well, 400 hurdles is how it used to. They don't do that as much anymore. The, the TV turns on. The 400 meter hurdles are on the track, and they just shoot the gun off, and like that's it. Like No, you need to tell like what's going on. Tell like who's in this race. Now, maybe you have that when you're introducing the people on the track. But I almost feel like maybe if you're going to do an hour and a half, you should have less events and like build the story, tell the story. People need to know what they're watching. Just don't shoot the gun off. Well, I, I was going to say it always begins with, and maybe they need this for a tourism inspector, but they always do this thing about the city. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like, do we really need that? Like, let's talk about the action. I mean, I guess if the city wants to promote their tourism and they're paying for something, then, yeah, I guess we could do a little bit of that. But I always say it's always some bullshit city thing. Well, uh, here's my other one thing about the 90-minute window. So, yeah, it was clear from Robert's conversation with Sebco that the 90-minute, that was something that came from the broadcasters, and the broadcasters are paying a lot of money, and they're sort of in control of this. So I kind of, the way he explained it, I kind of understood. I understood where he was coming from about the 90 minutes, even though it may not really make sense as something, you know, th- that they would want to do on their own. It's, it's coming from up high. But here's the thing. So they're saying it's not a cost-cutting gesture. The, the, uh, they're not removing these events from the Diamond League to cut costs. But, like, the triple jump and the discus, how often were these events shown during the ninety during the two hour window to begin with? Not very much, you know. I feel like fine if you're going to cut them out of the TV window. Like if you're going to cut them out of the Diamond League, what's the point? Like, couldn't you just keep them in the Diamond League and these ones aren't on TV? And you know, you can still stream them like through NBC Sports Gold and that sort of thing. Because but it's it's they're barely getting any coverage to begin with. So the idea that oh we'll save save time because we just couldn't fit these in. It's like, well, just don't even show them on TV then, but you can still keep them and support the athletes. Yeah, that's a good point, John. I think part of it has to be a little bit of a cost cutting or at least just allocating those resources somewhere else. But um, should we talk, John, about the one action that did happen? The men's road 5,000 world record. Quote, unquote, world record. Now, yeah. guys, this is something, guys and gals, this is something that the IWF didn't officially have a road 5,000 record until this year. So Sammy Kita ran like 13 flat in both 2000, I think, and 2001 at Carlsbad. But I think the official world record was 1329. Yeah, Julian Wanders and Edward Cesarek had said it. Julian Wanders said it earlier this year in Monaco, then Edward Cesarek tied it at Carlsbad. It's 1329. And then this weekend, all right, 
a guy I had never heard of broke the record at a race I had never heard of. It was Robert Keita. He ran 13.22 at the Urban Trail Lille 5K in Lille, France. And I just saw this and I was like, that just sounds like a random made-up Kenyan name at some race I'd never heard of. It was kind of crazy. But it's a certified race. And there were, one of the Ethiopian steeplechasers was in the race and well back. And it's interesting to me. This guy's 30 years old. His, al- his PRs are 14.19 for the 5,000, according to Telestopcha. Now, that's at altitude in Kenya and 8.56 in the steeple. So very – it's just fascinating. Like, where did this guy come from? Um, you know, it's not that big of a story. And, guys, I, I do have something else. You all haven't read my draft of the week that was. It's coming out a little bit late, late this week. One other story that I've noticed, Weldon will, will relate to this. Stefano Baldini, the 2004 Olympic marathon champ. It's kind of amazing, right? We had a non-African Olympic marathon champ as recently as 2004. He's now 48, so he's not that much older than Bernard Lagat, not that much older than Weldon Johnson. He ran the Athens marathon last weekend, folks. You know, Bernard Lagat's running like, what, 212? Abdi's running 211. Guess what Mr. Baldini ran at age 48 last week? It was this month. I saw the results, so I can't guess. Oh, Weldon. 347. Oh, wow. wow. Total disrespect, Weldon. It's better than that. Wasn't it 257, Robert? Yeah. Wow, John's so good. 257.07. So it's just it's amazing what some of these guys like Lagat and Abdi are doing. Keep it up. The good work, guys. Very impressive stuff. So Yeah. You wanted me to talk about actually speaking of that stuff, Robert. You wanted to touch on the Olympic trials real quick, and you know some of the haters giving their feedback on the boards. Yeah, so we published the article that we talked about in last week's podcast, where John has the tiers of athletes, and I actually made him add in because we gave percentage chances for all for all all of the athletes, and they have to add up to three hundred percent if you're going to be accurate because there's only three spots in the team. And for John on the women's side, John had all these different tiers, and then he had like everyone else. They have a one percent combined chance zero. On the men's side, he did not have everyone else. So, and James Walmsley was left out of your men's preview. So that means you're giving James Walmsley a zero percent chance of making the team, and that did not please the ultra distance fans. But yeah, in retrospect, I I should have included Jim Walmsley. I actually forgot because he's really he doesn't race much that's not ultra marathons anymore. But he ran sixty four flat in Houston. Do I think he's what is his chances to make the team? Yeah, it's probably less than one percent. But uh, I'm really excited to see. I love that he's running the trials, or we think we think he's running the trials, right? Because you know you get to see what he does, and it's just another extra, it's interesting storyline to monitor. Like, is Bernard Lagarde going to make the team? I gave him a five percent chance. I think that's fair. The guy ran two twelve this summer, but he's also you know he's turning forty five in in December, and he, he. I mean, why would we think that he has a better chance than all these other guys who ran two twelve? Like people are like, oh, it'll be a sit and kick. It's like. That's not how the marathon works. Like, just because you've run three, Matthew Centrowitz couldn't go into a marathon and sit and kick on someone and blow him by. That's not how it's going to work. So I don't know. But I am interested to see what Jim Walmsley does in the trials. I don't think he's got a very good chance of making the team, though. I know what's going on, Robert. John just hates Hoka athletes. Hoka sponsored the website this spring, spent a lot of money. And John, the pure journalist, you know, wants to show that he's independent. So he just pisses on Kellen Taylor. He pisses on Jim Walmsley. As I'm sitting here wearing my Hoka Carbon X shoes recording this podcast, thank you, Hoka, for all you've done. No one talked about this. At the Media 800, I ran a, you know, I got to live in the past. I ran a 231-800 negative split, 79-72. Who has, has there ever been a better negative split in an 800 meters? 
It's because I was wearing the Carbon X. Oh, but who knows what you would have run if you had worn the Vaporfly as well, then. See? There he goes. Also, Scott Fable. I gave Scott Fable a 50% chance of making the team. Who's he sponsored by? So yeah, let's talk about Galen Rupp, because I gave him a 90% chance of making the team, and some people were saying, oh, it's you know it's way too high, 90% for even for a great marathoner. But I, I also think, like, I think it would be an insult to give him anything less than 80%. Do you guys think 90% was too high for Rupp or too low or just right? I think 90% is fine. Like, he's making that team unless he gets hurt. What are the odds that he can't even do, like, a Chicago-type buildup? I'd say about 10%. Um, what was interesting to me about the list, John, is only one athlete, male or female, has greater than a 50% chance of making the team. You know, and that's Rob at, at 90%. The highest woman, any woman you have is Hase at 50%, Sisson at 40%, Craig at 35%. Now, some of that's assuming that when, you know, I guess you're probably – what are the odds if you think that Lyndon's going to actually run the trials, John? I think they're pretty good. I would put her odds around the trials at about probably 80% or uh, 90%. So – that would mean that um, you've got her about a 40% chance if she was actually doing it. So she'd be right around Sisson. She'd be like the second, co-second co favorite, basically, if, if you're doing the math right. Um, my complaint on the list was I thought that – well, it's interesting. You've got a 43-year-old, Nabdi Rahman, as your fifth man chance at 15% based off his 211 in New York, which is impressive. You've got a, a guy at 5% and Ritzenheim at 5%. I don't think that – God's chances are that high. I, I think that those guys that ran in Chicago, the the, the Jake Rileys, the Gerald Mox, the Parker Stentons of the world, the, the Matt Yanos, you know, they weren't Matt Yano wasn't in Chicago, but even like uh, Chris Derrick or somebody like that. I, I think that they're probably have just as high, if not higher, chances than Lagat. But you have Ritzenheim at five percent. I don't think Ritzenheim is definitely higher to me than, than Lagat. And I, but as people don't agree with that assessment. I heard people say Ritzenheim hasn't done anything in, in years. It doesn't matter, folks. It's about do you have the absolute talent level to make that team? Everybody shows up and runs a good race. Yes, Ritz is capable of breaking a 210 marathon on a flat course. A lot of these athletes are not capable of doing that, period. Thank you, Robert. That's a great point. And that's exactly, you know, I probably should have posted on the message board, but that's exactly right. Because I, I think that th three people are going to run a good race. You just don't know which three. So some of these people on this list, I don't think really, you know, I don't know. Like, is Brendan Gregg's – is that the ex-Columbia runner, John? Like, no, you start at Stanford. Okay. Sorry, Brendan. Um, like, is his best day capable of, of making the team? Like, assuming there's not some weather calamity like the Boston Marathon. I would probably say no, it's not. Because no, I these – yeah, I, I would say that this, there's enough other people that they're not all going to screw it up. They're not all going to get hurt. They're not all going to run off course. They're not all going to get food poisoning. So guys like Brendan Gregg, I think they need they need to have their absolute best day. And then they need to have multiple guys run bad because you would say on his best day. OK, Brendan Gregg, I put him in the um, all those guys who ran fast in Chicago group. So. He was what the one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh. He was only the seventh American at the Chicago Marathon, so not a great starting position. But he broke, you know, he broke two twelve in that race. So let's say he beats all those. He runs well enough to beat all of those guys, and then all of the sort of guys I had in the assorted others category, and Abdi, Ritz, and Lagarde. I, I don't think that's that much of a stretch. It, that's like if he runs his absolute best day, I could see him beating all of those people. And then he would need two out of Rupp, Fable, Ward, and Correa 
to have a really bad day. I think the the likelihood of all of that stuff happening is very, very, very small. But you know, do I think a two eleven guy making the marathon well, the marathon team? You know, I Jared Ward. What was his PR when he made the team a few years ago? Like it was, I think it was slower than two eleven. So no, I look. I can see a way it happens, but someone like him, and not just Brendan, not to start single out Brendan, like most of the people in that group you know, Matt McDonald or Scott Smith or Andrew Bumbleau, they they need to have the race of their lives and they need to have a lot of things break their way. And that's really how they make the team. And, you know, it could happen. That's the, the dream and the appeal of the Olympic marathon trials. Okay, guys, we need to wrap this podcast up. But let's lastly turn to some important comments that Leo Connor made on Instagram last night. Um, we've been talking a lot in this podcast about the pressure Mary Kane was felt you know, it was given to from Alberto Salazar to lose weight and to have a certain body type. And we're not totally blameless in this matter. Um, Leah Connor went to Instagram to complain about some some photos from, from four or five years ago. Posts, message board posts from four or five years ago. Yes, message board posts from four or five years ago when she was finishing up her collegiate career at Michigan State. She apparently, uh, and, and I'll, I'll read from them. Um, there were some comments about her appearance and her uh, demeanor charisma and stuff like that, whether she was going to be a marketable athlete, stuff like that. And she, she posted them on, on Instagram. Here's, here's some of her comments about this. When these comments are posted, I was at the peak of my collegiate career about to sign a professional contract. I just run one of the most, one of the best races of my life. And I remember being excited to go to this website designed to share track and field news. I went on ex- online expecting to find words of support, but I was met with this anonymous dumpster fire at the time. Those threads hurt me deeply but I was too afraid to speak up. I didn't want to be too disruptive. I was embarrassed. I didn't want to draw attention to the misogyny and objectification. Later, she writes, after reading other obscene posts about women or sport, I decided the best way to handle it was to boycott the anonymous let's run message boards entirely. But I know that passivity isn't the answer. This wasn't and isn't appropriate. Platforms like this should not exist. Change begins with the conversations we have. Girls, don't stay quiet. Don't tolerate this bullshit. And my response to that is, first of all, Leah, I'm sorry that you had to read that. Like, that would be terrible. I, I wouldn't want to read that about myself. Um, yeah, as one of the founders and site owners of Let's Run.com, I just want to say, like, Leah, I'm sorry you had to read that shit. That's not the type of comments we want on Let's Run. They're terrible. We don't want people objectifying you, making you feel terrible. Um, I totally support free discussion, but we want we don't want to be the dumpster fire. We don't want comments like that. People are going to read objectionable stuff on Let's Run, but that type of comment we we, we just don't need. I think we've, we're constantly trying to improve our moderating. I think we're better than we were four years ago. Those posts were deleted, I believe, four years ago. But at the same time, you saw them even now that four years later, they're still that hurt, hurtful to Leo. Like, that's terrible. It shows just how, like, comments from a few assholes can do a lot. And there's some people on the internet or, you know, on the, on the thread and Twitter now saying, like, oh, the projects don't give a shit. You know, they're racist, sexist pigs. Well, I would disagree with that, but I, I sort of have a thick skin. I'm used to that shit, but they say, oh, it's good for business. That type of stuff isn't good for business. And we've had a lot of internal discussions, even since the comments last night, I've brought on a, another moderator, Texas runner girl now can moderate. Like, it's just like, I'm like, the moderation isn't a secret. Like we've improved it a lot, but can stuff get through there? Of course. Are we better than we were four years ago? I hope we are. Are we perfect? No. But, you know, that stuff isn't good for business. We don't want that because that actually drives people away. But 
I don't know. I, I really believe in anonymity on the internet. And we've had this discussion a lot with maybe we should only allow for pros discussions. I find it interesting, right? Is there a lot of shit on Twitter? Yes. Facebook? Yes. What do both those have? Registration. So for me personally, I've seen the extent people go once I ban them, I ban them. I ban the IP address. I ban their cookies. They set up servers in Europe to post objectionable shit. So I've seen that the worst of the worst try to get around it. So I, I just sort of like, oh, if people want to post stuff, because I think for certain threads, like the eating disorder, the girl who said, your message board saved my life. She may not have had a post if she had a post under a registered name. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll just say this. Leah, I'm sorry you had to read that. I would never want to have to read that about myself either. Moderating the message boards is the hardest thing we do. I think we can do a better job. What I always do on this podcast, I always give out our phone number, 844-538-7786, 844-LET'S-RUN. As I say, you can call us. You can't call Twitter. You can't call Facebook. When people call us, it's deleted. You say that this shit shouldn't be tolerated. Guess what? It wasn't tolerated. These threads, This thread was deleted. And actually, one of the posts that she's referring to that was talking about her, the poster, some asshole, was complaining about another post that he objectified, uh, I think, Jenny Simpson. And that post had already been deleted because he was complaining that post had been deleted. So it, moderation does work. It just sometimes takes too long. We have a report post function. Things are sometimes deleted even if we're sleeping automatically. So it's not perfect. It can get better. One thing I want to do is maybe have a pop-up. Like we have a shoe pop-up, a pop-up reminding people, hey, if you see something on here, report a post or call us. I also want to reach out to the coaches association to let the college coaches know that, hey, you can reach us. And maybe to all the agents, hey, you can reach us as well. Because, you know, no, nobody wants to be objectified. But I, I do disagree with the statement that platforms like this should exist. I mean, what, what, so you want to pre-screen c- content? I mean, it's, it's, she's posting on Instagram. They don't pre-screen content. So I don't know how you would ban a platform like that without getting rid of, of, all, of all speech. And back to the moderations, I mean, we can do better. It's not easy at all. There's almost 10 million posts on there. But in this case, it wasn't tolerated. It just wasn't tolerated in, in, in a timely enough fashion. But next week, you know, hopefully we can talk more about this because we've we've reached out to Leah personally, I mean directly, and we've invited her to be on the podcast. Maybe she might, maybe she won't, but um, difficult thing to, to deal with for sure. Okay, so I think obviously like I echo Robin and Weldon's response. I, I'm terribly sorry this happened to Leah, you know, uh, that again, she neither she nor any athlete, male or female, should have to read that sort of garbage. But I guess the que- the question that was this point was brought up by Leah and Molly Huddle and several other people um, is the question about requiring registers to user registers to sorry requiring users to register before they post and that's not something that we do at the moment and I guess my question to you guys Weldon and Robert as the founders of the site is why is that something that we don't require I mean one some of it just goes back to the beginning of the site the software we used and we thought we got freer discussion and we sort of always aired on that side. Uh, for me, the other issue is I think you get a little more honest discussion. There really is no true anonymity in the internet. So if you're posting under a handle and you post on certain topics, especially in the running world, people might be able to figure out who you are and people's jobs can be at stake, like coaching, discussing coaching jobs. If they put stuff together like, oh, this is the assistant coach at Ohio State. He shouldn't be saying this. I mean, obviously, I'm not saying comments like this, but so or commenting on this issue. Just uh, I believe anonymity. There's a long history of anonymity of posting and the, and the discussions you get and people pu- publishing anonymously. And so I think you sort of get certain discussions with that that, that can be good. 
Um, with the Mary Kane stuff, like back in the day, when I heard this in the podcast, I'm like, okay, maybe for high school athletes, we should have a higher standard. Maybe that should all be registration because yes, it is easier if you don't have to register to post shit, but like we can still ban the IP address. We can still ban the cookies. And I've seen, as I said a second ago, I can, I've seen the extent people will go the complete dicks. They go to extreme extents. You know, they set up new names, they set up new computers, all this other stuff. Uh, I guess I, my take on it is slightly different, John. I'm not opposed necessarily. I would consider maybe going to anonymous registration. I don't want people having to post another name. Definitely not. Like you have to use a Facebook name. No, not at all. I, I feel like that's stifling on the internet. One of the things, why, why is Snapchat and all these things popular? People don't want to have any comment they made on the internet being used against them 20, 30 years later. So, but maybe, you know, if, if you could post under like a handle under some email address, and you, as long as you could change the handle, that might be something I would appeal. I do think that we should automatically require some sort of registration just on the high school handles. I mean, on the high school threads, when you're talking about minors, I think there should be even higher standards. So maybe it works there. But I, I, I don't think that the, the, the nasty comments are the results of registration. I mean, you have to register to, to post on Yahoo. Have you ever seen some of the stuff on there? I just think that that, that – Running is a niche sport. It's a higher profile here if somebody writes something nasty than it is on Yahoo um, or even the New York Times website. But right. moderation can be better. We should do better. And I think personal attacks, you know, I think it's we should be clear, those should not be allowed. You know, if you want to comment that um, – Yeah, well, the thing I want is that we probably have some topic about moderation about every six months. And the thing I want to get across to people is like, just don't be a dick. Like you can say Leo Connor's a shitty runner. She won't be a good pro. Like keep it about that, but you don't need to bring up personal stuff about her looks, that sort of stuff. Now those conversations, I guess, go on in society. And I think let's run is often a reflection of society. Not that we shouldn't improve it and moderate better, but just, I think for running like pro athletes, right. I'm sure Alex Rodriguez gets dumped upon these college athletes. Tua has a bad game. People say he sucks. He's a loser. Da, 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 da. But that's going all over the internet. It's not concentrated in one spot. So I feel like Let's Run maybe rightfully gets some of the criticism because if you could cr- criticize Yahoo and ESPN Sports and their forums and all this other stuff, running it's all in one spot. But also back to anonymity, I think for the, especially for the pros and top notch, Alberto Salazar wanted his lawyer sent us a letter wanting the IP addresses over 100 posters, knowing who they are. And so... I think it's sort of kind of this all sort of fitting, like coming back this week. The, Let's Run was one of the few places you could discuss Alberto Salazar. You could make accusations against him. You could say, we need to watch out what this guy is doing. And he hated it. His lawyer sent us letters threatening, demanding the IP addresses and email addresses of posters. And fortunately, one, we didn't have that. Two, we're not going to give it to him. But like, let's say we just made everyone post under a name. And then he, he might have gone to the trouble to triangulate and said, oh, my God, I think this guy works at Nike. He should be fired. Or this guy is so and so. People discussed, you know, when he when the Gabe Grunwald insult, people are like, oh, he shouldn't be doing this. And I think some people for that type of stuff. Now maybe it's different for a pros and you know, we opened it up for certain types of conversation. Ninety percent of posts are pretty good. I mean, we remove a shitload of posts. That's what I think people don't realize. Do we need to do it quicker? Yes. Uh, I think we probably should keep improving this. The behind the scenes software is much better now than it was even six months ago and even two years ago. And I think it keeps getting better. Yeah. One, one other point I would make, I mean, obviously this is on us as moderators and, you know, the people who run the site to, to address this issue and to contain it, but like people who post there, hold yourself to a higher standard. I mean, why, I don't understand why this, some of this stuff gets posted in the first place. And just like, like Weldon said, don't be a dick. Like, come on, you're better than that. You should be, everyone should be. And I just, it, it infuriates me to see it sometimes. I just wish 
these, I mean, you know, again, it falls on us. It's our website, but I just wish some of the posters would just take a look in the mirror and maybe hold themselves to a higher standard. Yeah, I think some of it, you know, John, like I was reading some of like Mary Kane comments and like Yahoo and YouTube and like, you know, I was like, holy shit. But then I'm like, wait, I'm sure some people say the same thing about Let's Run. And yeah, I think everyone can be better. There's no community that's perfect. I'm not trying to like minimize, you know, how she felt or that we need to do a better job. But I feel like we constantly try to do a better job. I think it's sort of simplistic, right? This sort of, oh, we're assholes, racist, motherfuckers, misogynist people. Like, yeah, but but you're entitled to that opinion. And you can even say it on Let's Run About Me. But that's my site. Uh, the comments you say, there's like various levels. The more prominent you are, the more I'm letting you say. If it's some anonymous posting about some dual meet and some high school meet, yeah, the, the bar's higher. And we sort of always done that way. Mary Kane was a very interesting one because she turned pro in high school. So it's, and was getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. But we want to do better. You know, I'm sorry, Leah, that it still hurts you this much. Yeah, I mean, one thing I should point out, I don't think two wrongs make a right. Just because Yahoo is a dumpster fire doesn't mean that we should, you know, we're less of a dumpster fire means that we don't have a problem. You know, moderation is tough. It's, it's not easy. I just think it's a little bit ironic that these posts were deleted and have now kind of become controversial, you know, four or five years later. So we actually, there was a thread, you know, we always have our deleted thread of the week. There's been a th- big thread this week that was deleted. People say we, we don't allow enough to post, we, we make it too hard to post links, etc. So, you know, may have more on this next week. Maybe Leah will be on the show herself. But um, again, if you need to reach us, the best way to do it, 844-LET'S-RUN. Guys, been, it's been a crazy week off the track. Hopefully there's more on the track action, but not much really is happening in the middle of November. NCAA Regionals, Friday. Oh, yeah, John. Go to, we got xcqualls.com. We got, we'll have a, we'll be updating. Uh, Bo Wagner has his program to project the qualifiers. Everyone can use it now. It's great. There's a thread on the message board. You can sort of find the information. We'll be projecting the qualifiers on Friday. And then after that, it's NCAA Cross. So we'll have next week will be our NCAA Cross preview show. And we might even have a live on-site podcast from Terre Haute. Robert Johnson will be returning to NCAA Cross for the first time in three years. So the return of Rojo. Yeah, you can yell your complaints at his face in Terre Haute. All right, everybody. Thanks.